You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're talking about something that is truly iconic in our culture. It's tied to a sense of happiness, a sense of adventure even, but also has a dark side. Today, we're going through the history of soda. All right, we're gonna travel along this timeline and take a look at some of the fascinating aspects of this very, very popular beverage that's embedded itself into our society. Global sales of carbonated soft drinks are about 350 billion, all right? That's with the B, all right, billion per year. And that's according to industry reports from Grandview Research. Now, two of the top 50 companies in the world, in the world are soda companies, all right? Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, all right? They're up against huge tech companies like Google and Apple. They're up against car companies, financial companies like Wells Fargo, JP Morgan. And they're right there in the mix with the giants because they are giant, all right? So, and would you believe that sodas actually started off as something that was seen as a medicine? Right? It started off with these kind of good intentions to help people to feel better, to heal from different ailments. So we're going to go through all of that today. It's going to be incredibly fascinating, but you're also going to get some huge insights, some actionable things to go along with it as well as we always do. All right, Because soda, you know, it's again, it's a big part of our culture, but you know, some of the big potential issues that you're going to learn about today, uh, we've got to have a way out. We've got to have other options. And so we're going to cover that as well. And also one of my options that's keeping a lot of dough in my pocket is Thrive Market, all right? I put a big value placement into the food that I eat, into personal care products that aren't containing a bunch of crazy toxic chemicals. That matters a lot to me for what I get for myself and for my family. And so it's quite an investment. You know, I've been doing this for years and, you know, going to the local health food stores and Whole Foods and that kind of thing. And that's awesome. I'm very grateful that they exist, Right. But, you know, when you're when you're doing things the right way, you know, with the farming practices and things of that nature, it can cause the prices to be higher. Number one, but also there's going to be a big markup by these specialty grocers. Right. That's what they really are. And that could put a hurt on your pocket. OK. Now. So for me, I'm saving money by using Thrive Market. All right. This is an online, basically like a Costco version of Whole Foods. You know, you're getting all of these incredible uh, organic, uh, you can get, you know, and they've got everything categorized, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, whatever you're into, you know, abiding by these very, very strict and intelligent standards as they're curating these different companies. And you're getting these products at 25 to 50% off the price you would find at a place like Whole Foods. And I've got a little beef with Whole Foods right, recently. Listen, I just shared this on my Insta story. Hopefully you follow me on Instagram so you don't miss this stuff. But And I'm at Sean Model on Instagram. That's S-H-A-W-N-M-O-D-E-L. But I shared my frustration. I uh, Again, my, I've been to Whole Foods all over the country. Like literally, I can't even tell you how many locations. And so many of them are amazing, right? They've got restaurants in the Whole Foods. I didn't know that was a thing because, of, you know, I live in St. Louis. They have... Um, Taco bars? You can get it. They're going to make tacos for you. You want a burrito bowl? You got it. All right. I didn't know that was a thing. They've got uh, kombucha on tap, juice bars. They've got beer. They're making beer. They're making beer, right, in the Whole Foods. 
My Whole Foods, none of that. All right. It's an, it looks nice inside. We've got like a sandwich station, right? They can make you a, a sub, I guess. And then they got the pizza, right? That's, that's pretty much it. And the hot bar has been my issue. Like sometimes you want to grab something, you know? And so my wife, she had a long day. She went to the grocery store at the end of the day. And I, you know, I sent her a message like, babe, don't come home trying to cook. Don't worry about it. I'll make some veggies here. Just grab something from the hot bar to go with it. And she fought me back a little bit, but then she said, okay. Five minutes later, sends me a picture of the hot bar at our, at our local Whole Foods. Empty pans. Empty. She sends me a picture of empty hot bar. How? You would think, oh, maybe it's the end of the day. It was 6 p.m. They're not changing over food. That's just how they roll in my local uh, Whole Foods. All right, so anyway, so I was just kind of done, right? I was voicing my frustration, but I was like, I'm not really done with you, Whole Foods. I'm still going to still gonna show up, but come on. Can, can, we, can we get a juice bar at least, right? And so, you know, but even still, I go there less and less as we're shopping at Thrive Market. And man, it's just the way to go, seriously. So make sure you're taking care of your family and yourself, but also taking care of your pocket. Go to thrivemarket.com forward slash model health. You get 25 to 50% off the same products you'd find at Whole Foods. It's insane how much money you'll save. I've already saved about $800 in the last maybe six months, six, eight months. Crazy stuff, right? And also, in addition, by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash model health, you're going to get an additional 25% off your first purchase of your entire car. Amazing. All right. That's where I get my almond butter, uh, bars for my kids. They've got collagen protein powder. They've got uh, spicy mayo. Okay. Chipotle lime mayo. I just want you to keep your eyes open for that. I never run out. All right coconut oil, all that cool stuff, and you're going to save your money. So head over there and check them out. And on that note, let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled From One Sean to Another by Sean M268. Hey, Sean, it's Sean. See what I did there? I've been listening to your podcast for a while now after hearing you featured on The Secrets to Success by E.T., Carl, and C.J., Your podcast puts my 15-plus fitness journey into perspective. The gems you drop every week are phenomenal. I've been putting off writing a review for a while now, but it's time. Episode 278 is golden. Trust me when I say I'll be listening to it over and over again. Your vulnerability and genuine passion for people rings loud and clear from each episode. Everyone everywhere should be listening to this podcast. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Let's move the world. Wow, let's move the world indeed. Thank you so much for sharing that. And everybody, thank you for heading over to iTunes and leaving me those reviews. It truly keeps me inspired. And it's just, I, I just appreciate it so much. So please keep them coming. If you yet to do so, pop over and leave me that review. And on that note, let's get to our topic of the day. Today, we're going through the history of soda. And this is a really fascinating topic. And, you know, I learned a lot in this process. You know, I did know quite a bit about the industry, but more of the 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 health side or lack thereof. But it's really amazing just to understand where this whole uh, entity actually originated. And so to start with this history, we need to go all the way back to the 1700s. And this is when non-carbonated water was combined with lemon juice and honey to make what was first the recognized, quote, soft drinks, all right? And so soft drinks, just even like, what is a soft drink? It's simply, you know, this can be a carbonated or non-carbonated beverage that is an alternative to hard liquor, right? Or hard drinks. That's what a soft drink is. 
So, but as we know soda, that involves carbonated water. And so for centuries, there was a belief that naturally carbonated water had healing properties and people would come from all over to drink and even bathe in naturally uh, kind of carbonated springs. Now, there are, again, they're naturally carbonated water sources, i.e. bubbly water, but then there's also uh, this way that was invented to artificially carbonate the water. And this was invented in 1776 by Englishman, Dr. Joseph Priestley, right? And he did this by infusing carbon dioxide with the water to create carbonic acid, all right? So that was in 1776. And then in 1783, as we go along this timeline, Jean Jacob Schweb perfected the process for carbonating water and created the world's first carbonated mineral water. All right, so we've got carbonated bubbly water. It's a thing, it's rolling around, people are digging it. Then we jump to John Matthews, all right? And he immigrated from England to NYC and he can be considered more than any other, the father of soda. And this was in 1832 when he created an efficient machine for creating carbonated water. And he started to put stuff into the water, right, into that soda water to give it flavor. Some of the things he experimented with were various nuts, eggs. Yeah, he put eggs in there, all right? It was a thing. Fruit, vegetables, you know, some of the kind of extracts that we are more familiar with today, and even chocolate, all right? He put these various things in to give it flavor. Now, it was already well noted that this carbonation would, for some folks, help to relieve them of indigestion or gas. And so that was one of the kind of helpful aspects of it. But then it got driven even further. And this word gets really interesting because eventually sodas found their way into pharmacies. All right. And many of the early sodas were actually invented by pharmacists as a delivery method for medicines. All right. Once they were back in the day, this, they were handcrafted with freshly prepared ingredients right there on the spot, various herbs and things that we'll talk about. And then it was served to you, Got a there's a guy who gives you the soda, it's called a soda jerk, all right? I guess it's because he's jerking the handle or whatever. Usually they're young, so maybe he's like, little jerk, I don't know. But they were called a soda jerk, all right? And eventually though, however, this mutated into a heavily processed, prepackaged ingredients along with an array of potentially toxic preservatives, artificial flavors, colors, all this stuff we'll get to as well. So just keep that in mind. It started off in pharmacies. So first up, we'll talk about a couple of carbonated beverages that predated the first official soda a few years later. All right, so the first one we'll talk about is ginger ale. All right, ginger ale. Who likes ginger ale? I'm waiting for some hands to go. We got a finger that came up in the, in the studio halfway. But, you know, for some people, it's just like, meh. You know, but other people love ginger ale. So the first incarnation really began in what was known as something called, quote, ginger beer during the 1800s in England. And it was a simple recipe of ginger, sugar, water, lemon juice, and a type of bacteria for fermentation. Now, because both water and alcohol are solvents, this was an excellent way to actually extract the beneficial compounds found in the ginger. And now today, you know, just looking at the research, one of the main compounds in ginger being something called gingerol. And chemically, gingerol is a relative of capsaicin and pepperine. Those are the compounds that give chili peppers and black pepper 
their spiciness, you know, respectively. So check this out. A meta-analysis published in the International Journal of Preventative Medicine in 2013 found that phytonutrients found in ginger have significant antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. Really, really interesting. There was even research documented that found that there was significant anti-cancer properties with ginger as well. Now, a particular type of sesquiterpene present in a type of Southeast Asian ginger was found to induce apoptosis in pancreatic cancer cells. All right, that's a program cell death. So it's causing cell death to cancer cells. That's nuts, right? Just compounds that are found in ginger. And again, this started off as a somewhat good idea. Now, the first non-alcoholic version known as ginger ale was reportedly created by Thomas Cantrell. And he's an American pharmacist and surgeon but this was during his time in Belfast, Northern Ireland in 1851. It began as essentially carbonated water, natural ginger, and sugar. The dry style, and this is what you typically see now, is a more pale colored beverage and a much milder ginger flavor was created by Canadian John McLaughlin. And this was patented in 1907 as Canada Dry Ginger Ale which quickly rose to fame. And thanks to a ban on alcohol during the prohibition in the 1920s and 30s, its popularity rose even more because it was used as a staple to mix with alcoholic beverages because basically you had to make that stuff stretch back then. All right, you had to make it stretch. But today there are many other incarnations of this dry ginger ale and they're produced and sold internationally. And it's a staple in supermarkets, bars, and also on airlines. This was the first time I saw uh, somebody drinking ginger ale was on an air, airplane because, you know, I heard the name before, but, it, you know, sometimes, you know, you have tunnel vision, you just don't even see it. And I saw a couple people get it at one time and I just got fascinated, like, what is ginger ale? You know, so I actually looked it up. And yeah, so it's just one of those things that it's a lot of people enjoy it. Some people don't have any idea what it is. And some folks just think it's disgusting. So wherever you lie on the spectrum, all good. Today, however, most commercial ginger ales in the U.S. are made with high fructose corn syrup. And also, it's not ginger anymore. It's artificial ginger flavoring. All right, we've got food scientists who are great at replicating these flavors. And you don't have to spend money growing ginger, right? So it's not even real ginger anymore. And now, this is the thing. Being created by a pharmacist, all right? So this was, again, created by a pharmacist way back in the day, Thomas Cantrell, uh, this started off with good intentions as far as the ginger ale, uh, you know, selling it at the pharmacy, basically. And there was a claim, of course, ginger ale can help to cure an upset stomach. That's still what people use it for a lot of times. The facts. Okay, studies have found that ginger and ginger extracts can be effective for alleviating some types of nausea and vomiting, especially related to pregnancy and also following surgeries. And this is attributed to those compounds, gingerols, again, that we've talked about. Now, there are some small supporting studies that say that this actually does do the trick. However, ginger's effectiveness for other stomach woes is less supported by research. And here's the thing. Even if ginger does have those benefits, this does not mean that ginger ale has those benefits. All right. It's not the same thing. We got ginger and we got the highly processed artificial ginger with high fructose corn syrup. Not the same thing. 
All right, so that's one of the first incarnations of this movement towards the sodas that we know about today. Another one is root beer. All right, and this is pretty cool. So utilizing early on, this was utilizing roots to make beverages, right? This has been done for centuries. And eventually root tea, right? Root tea became a popular beverage. But if, by the way, if you're wondering where the name root beer came from, uh, many food historians think that it's likely that the first versions of root beer started off as something called, quote, small beer. And this was a beverage brewed from herbs, barks, and berries. And the fermentation process of the beverage was used to help reduce the danger from the poor water quality of the time. All right, so that's where the whole idea and the concept of these small beer slash root beer came from. Now, utilizing non-alcoholic carbonated water to make the root beer, which is what we know today, was done in 1876, and it took off as an industry for mass production, largely on the popularity of the formula created by, again, another pharmacist, Charles Hires, and the original formula included things like sarsaparilla, ginger, sassafras, dandelion root, vanilla bean, allspice, and a few others. But yet again, today, you won't find these potentially health-supporting roots and herbs in a can of root beer. All right, it's not the same thing. Instead, it's been replaced with artificial flavoring, artificial coloring, and lots of sugar. Now, many incarnations of root beer are to come, but now we're going to shift our gears to more of the household names that many of us have come to know and their fascinating beginnings. First soda to hit the scene, Dr. Pepper. It was created in the 1880s by pharmacist Charles Alderton in Waco, Texas, and first served in 1885, preceding Coca-Cola by one year. Right, another pharmacist concoction to help patients. Now, again, being invented by a pharmacist, its initial formula was using natural ingredients, likely a combination of various herbs, barks, and berries. Now, I say likely because no one actually knows the formula for Dr. Pepper. All right, it's crazy, like the kind of secrecy behind it. It's like some Nicolas Cage National Treasure stuff. All right, this is crazy. It's like there's Two halves of the of the original recipe are kept in like two different safes and safety deposit boxes in Dallas somewhere and various Dallas banks. It's just crazy, you know, the lore behind it. And so it's high secrecy. So if you're drinking Dr. Pepper, you don't even know what's in it. And of course, originally the soda was sweetened with sugar, but in the 1980s, as with most things, there was a huge shift to using high fructose corn syrup which was cheaper and sweeter than sugar. And Dr. Pepper was on that train with no looking back. Now, here's a little fun fact. There are still some countries that distribute Dr. Pepper with real sugar and not high fructose corn syrup. Not that it's that much better for you, but it's just a little fun fact, all right? And Dr. Pepper really took off and catapulted its way to national claim thanks to the 1904 World's Fair right here in St. Louis, all right, where it was offered people really dug it as they're going around and getting their their x-rays done of their feet right crazy stuff people do there are kids who, there are people who daily especially kids like if they had a, a x-ray machine like by their local pharmacy or whatever they they will go get x-rays of their feet every day right not understanding of course now we know that you know that exposure to x-ray radiation can hurt you and so people were doing that drinking their dr pepper and life was good 
or, or so we thought. So that's Dr. Pepper, a little bit of history on that one. But again, I said predated Coca-Cola by a year. Coca-Cola is about to hit the scene. It was invented in 1886 by pharmacist John Pemberton. For the first 17 years of Coca-Cola's history, one of the main ingredients in the famous beverage was cocaine. Right? Cocaine. Cocaine. It's called Coca-Cola, guys. It is true. All right, cocaine. And the idea came from, this was really fascinating, cocaine is derived from the coca plant. And this is a shrub indigenous to places like Peru and Bolivia. And chewing on the leaf for centuries was popular for its effects of producing mild euphoria, yeah, but also suppressing hunger, allowing people to have increased physical stamina. So like, you know, climbing in the mountains and that kind of thing. And it was in 1863, Angelo Mariani mixed the coca leaves into Bordeaux wine, creating an immensely popular tonic in Europe called Vin Mariani. And this alcohol in Vin Mariani helped to actually extract the cocaine from the coca leaves. And the advertising was that it was uh, something that would restore energy, give you greater health, strength, and vitality. All right, that was the marketing. Probably did. And now after failing to create a successful pharmaceutical drug, Pemberton decided he was going to take his shot, making his own fortified wine. All right, that was his initial approach because, you know, again, being a pharmacist, he was trying to make, make a drug that could help people, but just couldn't find something that really would work out. So he took his shot here. And basically he bit off the recipe for the Mariani and he added cola nut extract and caffeine to the wine. And with this coca mix, and he called it Pemberton's French Wine Coca, right? Pemberton's French Wine Coca. I know you're like, okay, that's a terrible name. I agree. That's why I became Coca-Cola eventually. The drink soon became super popular, but due to local prohibition laws, Pemberton was forced to replace, not the cocaine, not the cocaine, the, co the cocaine stayed put. He had to replace the alcohol in the drink with sugar syrup. The new drink was now called Coca-Cola and sold at soda fountains mixed with carbonated water. It wasn't until 1903 that the cocaine was removed from the drink because of some problems associated with the drug. A few, just a few. Now Coca-Cola was well on its way to being the household name that it is today. So let's talk about cola nuts for a moment. The cola nut is a fruit of the cola tree, which are native to tropical rainforests of Africa. They're noted for being significant source of caffeine. And cola nut has been used literally for decades now as a source of flavor and caffeine for these cola beverages. And a little side note, the use of cola nut in colas has actually become more uncommon today because of the use of artificial flavoring. So you're not actually a lot of times even interacting with a cola nut when you're getting certain colas. All right, so be mindful of that. All right, Coca-Cola, oftentimes you can't have that conversation like, where's the Pepsi, right? You got the Coca-Cola, Pepsi war has been going on for a long time, all right? Now, Pepsi-Cola started out with a pharmaceutical route too. Invented by pharmacist Caleb Bradham, in 1893 and offered at the soda fountain in his pharmacy, calling it Brad's drink, right? Brad's drink. Now this was 
particularly touted for the benefits of aiding digestion and boosting energy. That's the formula he came up with and how he promoted it to patients and, and, and uh, customers was that this would help to improve your digestion and give you energy. The name was later changed to Pepsi-Cola for its main ingredient of pepsin, right? Pepsin, which is a digestive enzyme, and of course, the cola nut. So Pepsi-Cola. Now, this is right. With pepsin, you can potentially see some improvement in digestion. And also, of course, with the caffeine, yeah, you'll see some energy. So Bradham enjoyed 17 years of uninterrupted success. But in 1931, Pepsi-Cola had gone bankrupt for the second time due to sugar prices that had fluctuated. And this was due to World War I. The company was poetically sold to a candy manufacturer, Loft Inc., and continued to be a serious rival for Coca-Cola until today. All right, so we've got the ginger ale. We've covered root beer. We've covered the two big colas. Dr. Pepper beat them all to the race. What about 7-Up? A 7-Up was created by Charles Leeper Grigg in 1929. And it originally contained the mood-stabilizing drug known as lithium citrate. It originally contained lithium. All right, so this is a mood-altering drug. And the first of them was called, you know, this first incarnation of 7-Up was called Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda. But it's quickly shortened to 7-Up because obviously that name sucked, right? And it sucked lemon lime. And so Bib Labeled Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda became 7-Up and advertised as 7-Up stated that its mood-boosting effects takes the ouch out of grouch. That was the advertisement. Takes the ouch out of grouch. But if you take the ouch out of grouch, what are you left with? Gruh? I don't know. Anyways, I guess it worked. Lithium citrate even remained the main ingredient until 1950 when research showed that the drug had potentially dangerous side effects. All right, 7-Up. Let's move on. Now we're going to talk about Mountain Dew. This was invented in 1948 by brothers Barney and Allie Hartman, who had a beverage bottling company in Tennessee. Now, the creation of their soda was actually due to their inability to get access to the soda that they liked to drink their alcohol with. All right, so they had a lot of times on their hands. They was like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come up with our own soda, bro. We're going to come up with our own soda so we can have a more fun way for us to get hammered. All right, and so the name Mountain Dew, check this out. This is real stuff here. The name Mountain Dew was actually slang for moonshine. It's a slang term for moonshine. And there's even an old Appalachian folk song first recorded back in 1928, before the soda was even an idea, talking about the original Mountain Dew, a.k.a. moonshine. Take a listen to this. Down the road here for me, there's a big holly tree where they lay down a dollar or two. Where they drive round the bend and they come back and then Lord a jug full of good old Mountain Dew Oh, to call it that old Mountain Dew And those that refuse it are a few I'll hush up my mug if you fill up the jug with good old Mountain Dew That's crazy, right? Amazing stuff. And this is just, again, looking at these super villain origin stories of some of these different companies, you know. So, well, after sales steadily rose, the company began to struggle and it was eventually bought by PepsiCo in 
1964. Now, here's the thing, and I'm just going to give you a preview of what's to come when I talk about supervillain origin stories. This soda and other sodas, highly addictive, all right? And you just take a look at the statistics. 20% of drinkers of Mountain Dew are responsible for about 70% of their sales, all right? That's a buttload of Dew in you, right? That's a lot of Dew. And you have to think about this in context, like... How is that even possible for a person to consume that much Mountain Dew? It's just like people are literally going for Mountain Dew instead of water, you know? And I, I can identify with that because I had my drink of choice as well, you know? And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But I just want you to be mindful of that. The industry itself with soda, soda companies, their drive is to create what they refer to as heavy users, right? They're not all that interested in, in getting more people on board as they are getting the people who are on board drinking a lot of their product, all right? And that's just the way they roll. So I want to start with the history of some of these very popular soda companies because a lot of the other sodas that you are probably familiar with spring off of them. You know, a lot of them are actually owned by these same companies. And so now I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the resulting uh, aspects that we're currently experiencing with our, with our health and our society as a result of our heavy consumption of sodas. Again, $350 billion a year in sales for sodas. It's abs- It's mind-blowing. $350 billion. It's, it's difficult to really wrap your mind around in worldwide sales each year. And it doesn't come without an additional cost, which is the cost for our health. Now, just thinking about this logically, when we talk about sodas, it has exactly no nutritional value whatsoever. If you look at even the nutrition facts, is zero, zero, is there, is, there's nothing in it, right? No nutritional value whatsoever, yet it's one of the most loved and sought after substances in the human experience, right? That humans consume. And not only is there no nutritional value, it's actually negative nutritional value because it actually robs minerals from your body. It takes nutrients, digestive, it takes a lot from your body to process the beverage, So you're left with a net loss, a significant net loss every time you consume a soda. So here's some of the major health implications we're looking at here. Again, started off with good intentions to deliver medicines. That's how it started off, to deliver medicines. Now it's just a medium to deliver sugar, lots of sugar. Now, since we were just talking about Mountain Dew, 20 ounce bottle of Mountain Dew is 77 grams of sugar. That's almost 16 teaspoons of sugar. Just one, two, three, four, five. I'm not done yet. It's going to be a minute. All right, that's a lot of sugar. Uh, 20-ounce bottle of Coke, 65 grams of sugar, right? It's, It's amazing how much sugar is actually in here. Now, here's the problem. The most dangerous aspect of the soda is that the sugar is delivered in liquid form. So it's hitting, your, it's hitting your cells really quickly. It's hitting your bloodstream really quickly. And so what are some of the implications as far as our health? First, let's talk about something that doesn't come to mind first, which is bone density. There's a study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that examined the bone mineral density of 1,413 women. And it found that daily cola intake was associated with significantly lower bone mineral density in the hips of the women in the study. Now, some studies suggest it's related to the high amount of phosphorus that's in the soda, which can inhibit calcium absorption. But also, it appears that phosphoric acid 
in cola can also cause the release of calcium out of your bones. And this is an important part for us to talk about this concept of acids and bases, right? Or acids and alkalines. And it's something we were all taught in school, but it really didn't have any visceral worldly connection to us. Like, I just wanted to get the grade and get out of the class. Like, I just didn't, it didn't resonate with me that it mattered. And today there's this whole platform or, or propaganda, an idea, a meme that's been generated that we need to be careful about the acidity of things, right? We don't want to eat an acidic diet, right? We want to alkaline everything, alkaline water, alkaline foods. And I think that that is barking up the wrong tree, all right? I think that we've kind of lost our way because there's this balance in nature, right? There's this balance. And we have to understand that some things are meant to be more acidic and that's okay, right? Different organs at different places in our body, different cells, different tissues are acidic. Some are more not more neutral. Some are more uh, in, an, in an alkaline environment, depending on the, the various organ and the tissues in different places in your body. So to say that we just need things to be alkaline is dangerous. So I want you to be aware of that. And also, when we have this concept of like, this is an acidic food or acidic compound, like soda, it's very acidic. Like, like it burns, right? It's a very, very acidic substance, but it doesn't make your body necessarily more acidic, all right? Because your body is very well equipped and evolved to create balance again. So in order to buffer the acidity of the soda coming in and those acidic compounds, because when we talk about acids and alkalines, what we're really referring to is the mineral constitution of them, right? We've got these acidic minerals, we've got these alkaline minerals, right? Calcium is, a, is an alkaline mineral. And that's one of the things that buffers. So when you drink the soda, you're not gonna turn into an acid person, right? But calcium can be liberated or leached from your bones in order to buffer that acid that you just brought in, all right? So I hope that makes sense. So we wanna be mindful of that, that you don't want to go for this whole like alkaline diet, alkaline approach. Your body knows how to manage that. You know, certain foods that we need, beverages, things like that, even water, it doesn't have to be alkaline for it to be good. Okay. So don't get too caught up into the hype. We do, however, want to pay attention to having more balance. There are lots of great alkaline things that we should be having as well, but your body will take care and balance you out. But here's the problem. When you're bringing in too many of these things like sodas, you can guzzle. It's liquid. It's liquid sugar. It's liquid phosphoric acid. It hits you hard. And you do that on a continuous basis day to day, it's going to start to leach and pull those minerals right from places that you need in order to buffer, um, in order to buffer all that acidity coming into your system. All right. So I hope that makes sense. Now, also the high caffeine consumption doesn't appear to help either. In the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research published data indicating that people who already have impaired calcium balance performance in their bodies could have increased risk for bone loss even more with high caffeine intake. And now let's be clear, the caffeine itself isn't a direct issue. You know, again, this is something humans have been consuming for centuries, right? And has a really interesting resonance with the human body. In fact, there's a compound called adenosine that we create as we're just living our life day-to-day -day process. And as adenosine increases, and by the way, for years, it was thought as just a throwaway product that just didn't really matter to researchers. But now they're aware that we have receptor sites for adenosine that as we build up adenosine, it starts to fit into those receptor sites and activate programs that put us on sleep mode, all right? It makes us to relax, calm down, set us up for recovery, 
right? So adenosine matters. Caffeine has an interesting ability to fit into those adenosine receptors. And so you can build up the adenosine that would normally make you shut down, be tired, and you just don't experience it. You can keep going. So it kind of tricks your body into not knowing that it's tired when it's tired, all right? So that's one aspect. And then we got the other aspect of being a nervous system stimulant itself. That's what caffeine is. It's a nervous system stimulant. And so it's not a direct issue. It's more so the related issues that can come from it when you go too hard with it, which is issues with your nervous system and also with your sleep, for example. And if your sleep is messed up, it can really mess you up, right? And this becomes a slow, snowball effect that can damage your hormone function and reduce your bone density potentially because of, you know, um, levels of sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, all these things that are also related to your bone density, those things start to get messed up. And so with that said, I want you to be aware that it's not caffeine necessarily that's a problem. I'm a fan of caffeine, but the source you get it from matters, right? Caffeine from hammering down colas every day on top of the other issues with bone density, that can be a problem, all right? So in most folks, you know, the big caffeine source we think about is coffee. And it's, I'm not saying to not drink coffee, but a lot of the coffee people are drinking is what I like to call affectionately garbage coffee, right? It's, it's garbage coffee. So you're getting a hot cup of coffee bean juice plus pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, things that were used to in the, in the growth of those coffee beans. And so your favorite coffee spot you're hitting up, what kind of coffee are you actually drinking? Are you drinking, by the way, pesticides, herbicides, most of them are either neurogenic or estrogenic. So that means neurogenic, this screws up the, uh, the, the brain and nervous system of the particular pest that they're trying to get rid of. Things bioaccumulate in our tissues. We're, we're done now thinking that, oh, this stuff doesn't affect us. We know it does, right? And the other way is estrogenic, so it screws up the reproductive cycle of the different pests. And again, bioaccumulates in our tissues as well. Now we know that pesticides and fungicides, we have studies showing clearly that these can affect our sexual health as well. All right, so that's the big thing. What kind, what's your source, right? Vary your source. For me, I just got onto the coffee train. I was not a fan. I've shared this before. I had coffee one time, I was like five. All right, I had a sip of my grandma's coffee. I swore it off. I was like, I'll never, I will never, never drink this again. And I lived the rest of my life until about a year and a half ago, never sipped it, never was no interest, zero interest. And I would talk about Four Sigmatic and I, I was having the mushroom elixirs, you know, the cordyceps, the, the lion's mane, which I still do, I love those. The reishi, I love reishi. But my wife was doing the mushroom coffees and she was just like, I mean, overjoyed having these mushroom coffees. I'm just like, what is the big deal? Like, okay, I'm gonna try it. And so I tried it one day and wow, it's no looking back. <laughs> I get it now. All right, I get it. And here's the great thing about it is that we have the organic coffee. All right, so you're not worrying about all the pesticides, herbicides, fungus, but now we have the balance because this is acidic. Coffee's acidic. We have the alkalinity of the medicinal mushrooms in there as well. It creates a much more balanced thing. And so one of the fundamental things you experience is a much more natural kind of experience of energy, right? It's not like this weird spike and crash and jitters and this weird, like none of that weird stuff. It just feels, it feels right. It feels good. It feels really good. And you don't know, like there's no associated crash. And on top of all that, why I really love it, when we're talking about these medicinal mushrooms, when you look at something like chaga, which is in both of the coffee formulas uh, with Four Sigmatic, we're talking about something that has, I mean, 
stacks on stacks of clinical evidence and being effective for fighting cancer cells. All right. It's, it's bananas. Like literally you can go Dr. Google right now and type in Chaga and cancer studies. It's nuts. Very, very powerful. It might be the greatest antioxidant substance that humans have ever found. All right. That we consume off the charts or scale. And plus you see about a 300% increase in your body's NK cell activity. So these are your natural killer cells. So these are your immune system weapons that literally these are the, 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 the cells of your immune system that get trained to be skilled at taking out foreign invaders. All right. Incredible stuff. All right. Chaga, Rishi, tons of studies showing the benefits of Rishi related to uh, cancer protection, improving sleep, uh, lion's mane, we've got University of Malaya finding that it can help to uh, regenerate neural tissue, right? Creating new brains. It's amazing. If you're not drinking already, head over, check them out, foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You get 15% off everything, all right? Amazing, amazing stuff. I've got my cabinets stocked with Four Sigmatic. Absolutely love them. All right, now, to shift gears a little bit, in talking about this consumption of soda, we got the bone mineral issue, right? But the thing that really jumps to mind for a lot of us immediately would be, what about the connection with obesity? We hear about it, but we don't really take a look at it. And that's what we're doing with the Model Health Show. So we're actually going to put our focus lens on what's happening. And is there an actual connection with obesity and soda consumption? So this was a meta-analysis published in the journal Obesity Facts, found a direct correlation between the consumption of sugar-sweetened soft drinks and obesity, right? This is like no surprise, right? Here's, this is a meta-analysis. So this is taking a compilation of many studies and verifying these facts that, yes, indeed, there is a connection. What isn't a surprise, though, is the fact that studies funded by the soda industry found that there is no connection between drinking soda and obesity. Hmm, that's interesting. So the meta-analysis looked at 30 studies not sponsored by the soda industry and found a clear connection. So you gotta be aware of this stuff. You know, when you're looking at studies, who, who funded the study, right? Because it's their job to make money. Why would they publish something that's going to take away from their profits? Why would they do that? Why would they put themselves out of business? think about it. It's just logical. And so with this said, you know, a, a lot of the folks that are working for those organizations, they feel like, you know, this is something that should to be consumed in moderation. You know, it's not addictive. It doesn't have these different things. This is their, this is their belief system. And if it's not their belief system, they know that they're hurting people. They're just terrible human. All right. There are a couple of those, you know, it makes me think of in the dark night, you know, um, he's trying to figure out the Joker, like logical, like, why is he doing this stuff? Why is he hurting? And, you know, his boy Alfred was like, some people just want to see the world burn, right? And so some of those soda guys just want to see the world burn. And your throat. With the soda. All right, so diabetes. This is a natural transition segue when we're looking at the issue with obesity. An analysis published in November 2010 in the journal Diabetes Care, researchers found that people who drink one or two sugary soft drinks a day were at a 26% higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Just one or two. Just one or two a day. That sounds like moderation to me. Mm. 
Research published in the Journal of the Endocrine Society. There's actually an endocrine society, right? Hands up, who wants to be a part of endocrine society? All right, so the Journal of Endocrine Society shows clear evidence that the frequent consumption of sugar-sweetened soft drinks, even one to two per day, contributes to the onset of metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, and even cardiovascular disease. You might wonder, like, how is that even possible? Well, cardiovascular disease from soda, how is that even possible? Well, here's the process, real simple. Consuming that amount of sugar, like we talked about, with 16 teaspoons in a bottle of Mountain Dew, you're getting a tremendous surge in your blood sugar, right? As you're consuming that, it goes up very quickly. So your body has to secrete a lot of insulin to get that out of your bloodstream. All that sugar in your bloodstream is dangerous. Like, it can kill you. So your body in its infinite wisdom is trying to push that into your cells as quickly as possible. So insulin gets released from the beta cells in your pancreas to help to open your cells up, basically unlock the door so that the, the, the glucose can get in. Now over time, insulin needing to respond in that fashion begins to become resistant. It's like pushing the gas pedal down habitually over and over again. It's just gonna start to tear your car down, right? Just to the floor. The wheels are going to go out. Stuff's just going to start to not work as efficiently. And so you start to develop insulin resistance. And so now you have more sugar hanging out in your bloodstream. That's what diabetes essentially is, right? It's having this high blood sugar. But first, what your body's going to do in, in relationship to cardiovascular disease, before it gets to the high blood sugar issue, after the cells are filled, then you're going to fill up your, your, your muscle glycogen as well then that glucose is going to be converted over in your liver to liver glycogen where it can store it there because your body's trying to protect you, get that sugar out of your bloodstream. But as your liver glycogen gets filled, this is where the real problem starts with cardiovascular disease. So now we've got excess sugar potentially that your liver cannot put back into circulation because it's trying to protect you. So it's going to actually convert the glucose over into is a process called lipogenesis, right? Creation of fat. It's going to turn it into something else. And also it can create VLDL particles. So that's very low dense lipoprotein particles in a conversion, this kind of transmutation, biological transmutation of that glucose. Now we've got something that, you know, we hear about as quote bad cholesterol, right? Like LDL, this is VLDL, like very low dense lipoprotein that gets packaged with cholesterol and then sent various places in your body. All right, so now you've created the most potentially dangerous particle as far as cholesterol is concerned from consuming soda, right? So I hope that makes sense of following me along that track of how the cardiovascular issue can be a potential, but this is something to be aware of because we were not designed to be able to have access to that much sugar at one time. Our body like breaks down really quickly from that, but our bodies are also very resilient. It'll just start storing fat like crazy. It's one of the first protective mechanisms that you have, right? But over time, pancreas, it's going to stop working adequately, liver, and so on. All right. So this isn't just a small thing when we're talking about, is it okay for people to drink a soda a day or give our, our kids soda at school? It's just, it's not really worth it. All right. So let's talk really quickly about addiction when we're talking about the health implications. In the brain, sugar specifically stimulates the feel-good chemical dopamine, right? It's kind of feel good neurotransmitter also has some hormone function as well. And dopamine really drives us, us to seek, like your body really enjoys it. So 
you're going to continue to look for more opportunities to release dopamine. All right, so this tells you immediately, sugar stimulates dopamine, chances are you're gonna want more of it and you're gonna wanna keep getting it over and over and over again. Sugar can, and you know, it's according to the experts, induce feelings of euphoria, right? Many of us have probably experienced this, something called a sugar high, right? This sugar high. But with the high, they're also associated depression and withdrawal, withdrawal symptoms when you don't have it. And so in the episode I did a while back, which I put in the show notes, we did the history of sugar as fascinating stuff. And so in that episode, I shared research compiled by scientists at the University of Bordeaux in France that concluded that, quote, overall, researchers reveal that sugar and sweet reward can not only be a substitute for addictive drugs like cocaine, but can even be more rewarding and attractive. So what do we do? You know, understanding that as we see the, the soda industry evolve and some potential problems showing up, diet sodas come along, right? Sugar free. We don't have sugar. You're, you're okay now. Give me the diet Coke. I'm on a diet. Let me get two triple cheeseburgers, supersized fry, but give me the diet Coke. All right, I'm watching my figure. And so this was what we were marketed towards. And we don't understand this. This is a really fascinating study as well. This is a public library of science, which had rats in the study with no prior experience with artificial sweetener, like what we're talking about that's used in soda were allowed to choose eight times per day between two mutually exclusive levers. So the rats got to choose between two mutually exclusive levers. One of the levers gave them a dose of cocaine. The other lever gave them a dose of sugar water that was used with an artificial sweetener. The results were shocking. These little critters, 94% of the time, became hooked on the artificial sweetener, not the cocaine. I hope you heard me. They got hooked on the artificial sweetener, not the cocaine. But then again, you might think, well, that's not bad for you, right? It doesn't have any calories. It's not just about calories. It's what is it doing to your hormones? What is it doing to your metabolism? And so there's a recent study in 2017 conducted by researchers at the Boston University School of Medicine. This was published in the journal Stroke. Shows a direct association between diet soda and both stroke and dementia. The study found that people who drink diet soda daily are almost three times more likely to have a stroke and develop dementia. What? How? Guess what? That artificial sweetener is messing with your brain. And we know artificial sweeteners like aspartame uh, strongly affect the neurons in the brain, putting them in this category of something called excitatory neurotoxins. Research published in the American Journal of Industrial Medicine found a link between aspartame and cancer as well. Just like its artificially sweetened cousin, saccharin, that literally has cancer warnings right on the package. Right? It's just you're sitting at dinner, pull out those little packages, and you look at the back and you see the cancer warning. Right? So there's a connection there as well. But research funded by the soda industry did not find these links. So let me be clear. Of course, they don't find links. But this, this is just something I want you to be aware of. There, there needs to be more uh, studies done on this for sure. And it's, it's a shame that we're at this point in our society's evolution that we're still talking about this stuff. We don't know the long-term ramifications. We've got some clues. I'm not saying, again, that this is a causation. It's a correlation. But the correlation should really make you open your eyes and pay attention. All right, now, 
let's talk a little bit about the experience because I began this episode talking about this is iconic, right? It's about adventure. It's about happiness. There's a feeling associated, like holding that can of soda in your hand. I know what it's like. I, like this is how I grew up. And when you pop that cap open, the so the the can is a little cold in your hand, and that that sound the and the, and it starts to fizz out. It's just a tantalizing experience for all of your senses, right? The sights, the touch, the sound it makes when you open that tab, the bubbles, right? And of course, drinking it, right? It tastes good. But my question also is how did this become so pervasive and connected in our society? Yes, soda is soda's good. You know, it tastes good. The experience is pretty cool. But what really made the difference? And so I want you to think back in your life, all right? and how the advertising for sodas really impacted you. I know you've probably got a favorite soda commercial for yourself, you know. Uh, for me, one jumps out, Cindy Crawford, right? The Cindy Crawford commercial for Pepsi. What? My little young brain could not handle that. Just one look. You know it. All right, we'll put it in the show notes if you don't know it. I was like, I want whatever she's drinking. I want to have that drink with Cindy Crawford, all right? Never going to happen, but that's the marketing. Very seductive, attractive, right? So for you, like, was there a commercial that was just like, my wife would share the stories as well. Like, she would watch these different, you know, her being from Kenya, she would watch these various commercials, and, like, that determined all her dietary choices is what she saw on TV. She's like, I want to try that, right? And her mom obliging, you know, would hook her up. But you would never know if you knew her mom today. And so, you know, it's, it's, it starts very young for us and also really appealing to our senses, the marketing, it's a marketing machine. And, you know, we talk about a lot of health affirming things on the show, but, you know, a lot of this stuff is a part of our history. And I know the majority of people listening, we grew up drinking sodas, you know, so let's think about it, you know, for yourself, top five sodas ever for you, what would they be? All right. What are your top five? My top five, cherry Coke. All right. I was on that cherry Coke. I like that a lot. Vess Strawberry, which is illegal in, I think, 30 states, but that's like legal crack. I mean, that Vess Strawberry, that was my that was my jam. And it was cheaper. Like the Vess sodas, for whatever reason, they were super cheap. So we bought those in bulk, knocked those down. All the various flavors we got to experience, sometimes in a day, okay? I might drink five to 10. I, I know it sounds crazy, but it happens, and it happens a lot. Another one, Sunkiss Orange. Yes, I was, I was on that as well. So you're seeing a trend of the, the fruit style for, for your boy, all right? Now, this one isn't a, a carbonated, but it's still soft drink considered Hawaiian Punch, all-time favorite, all right? That little punchy, whatever that guy. I mean, I could, that was my water, you know? Whatever small trace amount of, of actual H2O that was in there kept me alive, all right? Thank you. Hawaiian Punch for keeping me alive, but killing me softly, right? Same time. And then another all-time favorite, Lipton Brisk. When that came out, I mean, you can actually feel the sugar going down your, your tongue and going into your cells. You could feel it. That, that was mine. So below the video, I want you to share what was your favorite all-time soda, all right? Let me know. And also, of course, if you're not watching the video, if you're listening to audio, tag me on social. When you share the episode with your friends and family and just be like, hey, I was hooked on fill in the blank. All right, I want to know what was your favorite soda. Oh, by the way, this is just I want I want to talk about this really quickly too. There have been a lot of failures with soda too. You know, I don't know if you guys ever thought about these vanilla Coke. 
I actually liked it a little bit, you know, but then I realized it actually tastes like vanilla toothpaste with Coke, right? It really wasn't that good. Listen to this one, Crystal Pepsi. Crystal Pepsi. Listen, this is like your black belt if you know about Crystal Pepsi. My mom was all over that, all right? Like Crystal on Crystal, all right? She was on it. So, and this was like some, it's a great marketing platform, but eventually, of course, that fizzled out. Orbits. Do you remember Orbits? It was only around for a short time, like a year. It had the little balls in it. So you had a soda with little balls of mystery floating around. It looked like a lava lamp that you drink. How attractive is that, right? For, for weird people. <laughs> but these little balls of mystery. So there's an Orbit soda. Last one, Sprite Remix. Sprite Remix. Why would you remix it? Every remix isn't good, right? You're not Puff Daddy in the family. You're not puffy. Every remix is not going to be good. So lots of sodas have come and gone, but the titans that we started the show with are still around today. And if you were a kid growing up in the last few decades, you're pretty oblivious to the fact that, you know, knocking back all of these sodas have some serious health consequences. And I just wanted to shed some light on that with this episode. And also, I want you to think about just how much this is a part of our culture and just starting to have your eyes open as you see it in the marketing and the product placement and things of that nature. Because again, the industry is focused deeply on creating heavy users, right? A lot of folks don't drink that much soda, but then we've got this huge part of the population that drinks a lot of soda, right? We're talking about uh, somewhere around 60 gallons per person a year, but that's largely skewed. There are people who are drinking well over hundred, hundreds of gallons a year. All right. And there's some folks, you know, lots of folks as this information is getting out, don't drink any soda at all. And they found some other al alternatives. So I want to share with you five specific alternatives for you to look at. But also, lastly, I also want to point your attention again. We mentioned the commercials. What about the tie to sporting events, right? That's just, an, there's concession stands. That's the majority of things you're going to find is sodas, right? It's tied into culture. The commercials, right? Extreme sports, for example, Mountain Dew is like embedded in the culture. And the, the individuals at the organizations, they're great at targeting a market and absolutely overwhelming the audience with me too marketing, right? Me too marketing. They want to be associated with anything to do with that sport or that category of sports, right? So if everybody, if you see Mountain Dew associated with snowboarding, I want the Dew, right? Me too. So think about that, right? So with extreme sports, that's just one example. Video games, 2007, for example, Coinciding with the video game Halo 3, special edition Mountain Dew Game Fuel came out. So these are cans of Mountain Dew. It's called Mountain Dew Game Fuel with Halo pictures on it, right? Gamers, big audience that the, the manufacturers strategically are going after very intentionally. Also special launches with World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, and more. That's just with Mountain Dew. There's so many others. Movies, right? Actors drinking the sodas in the movie. Let's think back, Fuller McAllister. You know who Fuller McAllister is? Home Alone, all right? Fuller, the little cousin, is iconic scene with him guzzling the Pepsi at the table and looking at uh, Kevin, who's played by Macaulay Culkin, because, you know, he, he pees in the bed. He's getting his guzzle on. It's late at night. He, he's, he's just getting ready to, he's getting ready to create ocean. He's going to be swimming in a waterbed, not intentionally, all right? And so this little iconic thing, the product placement, 
that's like, that's made them so much money. Billboards, it, you know, outside, of course, in our, in our everyday life, but also in movies. Uh, there was one as I was doing research and I just saw it. It's just so epic when I saw the image of in the movie Total Recall, there's this huge Coca-Cola billboard at this one random scene that just came up while I was researching. And it's just like, it's a flash, but it's like a subliminal hit to your senses, right? As Arnold's walking around, he's like, Al the Fata's Obama, right? I think that's one of the lines he said in the movie, but um, this Coca-Cola image just like flashing and hitting your senses from all these different places really starts to play havoc on your psyche. And of course, last one I'll share, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. They take it over the top with the product placement, all right? There's an epic scene at the table that if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into it too much, but... And so basically that movie is, it's a parody of the culture of racing that has become largely driven by corporate sponsorships involving, you know, also soda, for example, and these different food companies. And so athletes, entertainers, Grant Hill drinks Sprite, Grant Hill drinks Sprite. Beyonce and Pepsi, and even Michael Jackson and Pepsi. We had Michael Jackson, arguably the most iconic entertainer of our time, aligning himself with Pepsi. Michael Jackson makes grown men cry. Like they're in the audience like, I love you, Michael. The, the tears, tears coming down. It's because he's singing and dancing, you know it, right? He's doing his thing. But do you remember when Pepsi commercial, his curl, cause he had the really juicy, with the product in his curl and his hair, some, some, a, a spark hit it, some flames hit it, hair caught on fire, hair caught on fire. Iconic moment, but I'm sure, you know, Pepsi made good and everything was all good, but just that alignment with an iconic person like that, how powerful is that? So be mindful of this stuff as you're, as you're seeing media coming into your senses, like, oh, I know what you're doing, I know what you're doing. So you're not just like a victim of it, right? And also the people that you share this with, your family and friends, who've come to know more about this soda industry and the history of soda, it came from somewhat good intentions to where it is today, where it's just a delivery method for a lot of sugar. Five alternatives to soda. Number one, guess what? Captain Obvious here, water, all right? For the first time in decades, it's official. Americans are now drinking more bottled water than soda, all right? We're talking, I mean, it's been a long time and it wasn't even close in comparison to how much soda we're drinking versus water. After dec decades long streak of strong growth, the United States, this was just last year, according to research from the consulting firm Beverage Marketing Corporation, the shift has now taken place where Americans are now, for the first time in decades, drinking more bottled water than soda. All right? Pretty cool. So that's number one. When you're out at a restaurant, you know, you're getting your fancy whatever meal, just get water. You know, they always come to the table, they bring the water, or they give complimentary water. Just go with that. You know, enjoy the meal. But that might not be your thing, okay? So you can also liven up the water. You can do fruit infusions with the water, right? Adding, it's kind of just a common thing we've been doing for a long time, adding lemon or lime to the water. Um, but man, when I was on a cruise recently, we were out, it's hot and you know, they had some cucumber water and I've never had it before outside of, of the, this huge boat that we were on uh, as we got back on. And I drank, it was the best thing ever. It was so good. I was, I. Couldn't believe how good it was. And so fruit infused or vegetables, like, you know, like cucumber, things like that, mint. There's like even cool infusion bottles where you can put that stuff in there. So liven up your water, do stuff like that. Also, you can add stevia to the water. So stevia is in this category. So this is more, 
It's not an artificial sweetener. It's, uh, it's from a natural stevia leaf, which ideally the stevia leaf is the best thing. <laughs> then we have some uh, intelligently done extracts. Okay, so it's still gonna be a processed sweetener if you're getting the stevia powder. It looks the same. All right, so I want you to be mindful of that. It doesn't mean go ham on stevia. I think the stevia drops are pretty cool because you can just have one little, that little drop. So it's concentrate and you can get that little flavor note. And so that's something to consider as well. Uh, number two, sparkling water. Kind of going back to where this whole thing started, especially with that fizzy experience. There are these cans of sparkling water sold at Whole Foods that people are going nuts for. Like they are going ham sandwich to get these sparkling waters. Like they're done with the soda thing, but they still want that sparkly experience that fizzy experience. And so they're going for the sparkling waters. But, you know, of course, you can get this restaurants, restaurants as well. I like adding lime. It really does taste good when you add lime to uh, sparkling water. And then maybe if you even add a little stevia to that too. Mm, there you go. So stevia drops of sparkling water can be really, really cool. They've got, you know, there's vanilla cream uh, stevia. There's chocolate stevia. There's watermelon stevia, all these different flavors. But again, just a little bit goes a long way. And of course, another option, instead of drinking a soda, fresh-made juices are hot right now. They're, they're hot, hot out in the streets, all right? But careful here, some bottled juices marketed as healthy actually contain even more sugar than most sodas, okay? So be aware, emphasis on vegetable juices. So there are a lot of companies now that are making cold-processed juices. Back in the day, you know, getting to be close to 15 years ago when I was like, at, at my little college apartment making juice, right? It was not as easy as it is today to get your juice on. But if you buy one, just make sure to check the label and I advise that it's less than 10 grams of sugar per serving, ideally. Okay, so heavy on the veggie, low on the fruit side when you're having your juices. Another option, again, for the fizzy kind of experience that are really cool and really uh, meet a nice spot in the market are kefirs and kombuchas. All right, kombucha's just exploded over the past couple of years. But again, I want you to be mindful of the sugar content, specifically with the, the kombuchas. So the kefirs, you know, the liquid kefir drinks um, are going to have a tendency to be less sugar. But the kombucha, you got to be keep your eye on that. All right, it can get you a little bit spiked out. And also the alcohol content because it is uh, fermented. It's even a, a warning label on some of them that says like, you know, there's it contains some alcohol that can get you tipsy. And so with the kefir and kombucha, just be mindful of those two aspects and uh, also the caffeine. All right, I remember taking kombucha, like having some, uh, you know, just later in the evening, maybe it was like seven o'clock, but it, it gave me problems sleeping that night. And I wasn't aware that like they're actually using like some strong caffeinated teas in making the products. All right, so just be mindful of those little things, especially if you're more sensitive to caffeine, um, that those can be delivery systems for things that want to you know, possibly give you some problems. But at the end of the day, these probiotic beverages, incredible benefits, right? Helping to replenish and support our gut microbiome. And there's so many great health aspects that come along with that, improved digestion. This can also potentially improve several other health factors as well, getting those healthy, um, friendly flora into our body. So that's a big difference in what you get with Coca-Cola. All right, Coca-Cola will kill your gut microbiome right off the bat. Like it doesn't care what jersey the bacteria is wearing, it's taking out everybody, All right? Whereas we got kefirs and kombuchas that are more supportive to it. And finally, another option here to think about is, is going with the classic, right? Before the whole soda phenomenon, it was tea. They were making tea out of all this different cool stuff. 
And there's so much variety here that you can go after. You can also get your nice caffeine kick as well from various teas. You can have it hot or iced teas as well. And you're more in control of what's going into it, especially if you're getting fresh brewed stuff versus the Lipton Brisk that I was hooked on. All right. Don't be like me. Don't be like teenage Sean. All right. That I was, I was strung out on Brisk. And so it's official. We're really taking back control of our health. We're really waking up to the hazardous effects of some of the things that we just came to accept as normal that are just not normal. The percent of eight-year-olds that drink at least one can of soda daily right now is 56%. We we cannot allow this any longer, all right? Things are changing, but they have to change now, all right? Change more now. And it starts by getting this information out there. The average number of cans of soda drank by males in the 12 to 19-year age group 868 cans a year. No more. That's done. We're done with that. And it's because you are a part of this mission with me to make a difference. It starts with us. It starts with how we're caring for our own bodies and minds, but also in our immediate atmosphere, you know, in our own household. What are we bringing into our homes, right? We have to start to have standards and understand like this isn't a game. These things are hurting people. But it's also to understand, keep everything in perspective. You you learned a lot today. There's still value here. You know, it's like there's cultural icons and, and uh, a part of our culture. It's not like we need to run away and, and pour all the sodas out, you know, down into the, you know, the toilet or whatever. Probably corrode the mess out of the pipes. But anyways, but it's not that. These are still part of our environment. I'll tell you, if there's a zombie apocalypse and there's no bottles of water around, no running water, and I see a Hawaiian punch, guess what? Guess what? I'm, I'm hitting it hard. All right. So everything has its value. But from our day to day lives, should we first jump to those things? Probably not. Probably not. It's just not worth it. And again, it starts with you waking up to this and taking control of your own health and and beginning to have these standards and also trickling that down into our families, to our communities, to our society as a whole, because this is about something much bigger than this history of soda. All right. And so today, moving forward, I want you to really be mindful of this, mindful of the marketing, mindful of the people in your environment. We don't want to make anybody wrong. We just want to make people aware, right? In a way that's compassionate and understanding that soda's really good, tastes yummy, but also has some really potentially harmful health effects attached to it. All right. And that's what it's all about. Awareness is key. All right. And also having some strategies to address it. All right. We got five different options that you can play around with, experiment with, but the bottom line is to take action. All right, and that's what it's all about. We got some incredible shows coming up. We've got some guests that are just gonna knock your socks off and some show topics that are much needed, long awaited coming up for you. So make sure to stay tuned. Appreciate you immensely. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.